Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Clients have their own wishes and standards. Like right. we're not McDonald's. They don't have a preconceived notion of what they're getting. They're coming with their own beliefs, their own standards. And then as pros, we need to level that. So spending your time right. on supporting your clients and supporting your people, I think will always be a better chance. Welcome to Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors. This podcast is designed to help trade contractors run their businesses more efficiently and profitably by eliminating chaos and discovering new growth opportunities. Learn from experts in the trades how to rocket your business to the next level. Hey everyone, welcome to Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors. I'm Chris Shank. I'm the education lead here at Estimate Rocket. And on this episode, we are replaying a conversation between Ask a Painter Live host Nick Slavic of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration and our own founder and CEO, Tom Drost. Tom and Nick talk about the economy in the coming year, what trade contractors can do to grow and scale their business, pro tips for job management, and a lot more. Just being a fly on the wall and listening to these guys is really exciting and can teach you a lot. I hope you get a lot out of it. You can find the Ask a Painter live show on Facebook. He broadcasts every week for the last seven years he's been doing this. It's pretty amazing. Go check it out. Welcome to the Ask a Painter Live show. I am Nick Slavic. I am the host of Ask a Painter Live. I am also the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. Um, uh, this show has been going on for seven plus years. Uh, we're going to be approaching the eighth anniversary shortly, which is wild. Uh, most people don't do anything for seven or eight years Uh me, me and it, me too. I'm not, I'm not a compliance guy. So that I've done a weekly broadcast for all these years is it even surprises me, Tom. <laughs> well, today, uh, we have, we have an awesome show. I know everybody is kind of wrapping up the weeks. We got the Thanksgiving holiday tomorrow. We got an awesome show today. It's one that I look forward to a couple times a year with Tom Drost from Estimate Rocket. Tom, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Nick. Always enjoy when we get a chance to chat. Yep. And, and, uh, the best thing about Tom is always, he's another big thinker. He's a business owner. And, uh, yes, we will absolutely talk about estimate rocket. We're here to answer any of your questions about any specific things like that. But Tom and I have lots of other topics that we explore as friends and business owners. So Tom estimate rocket for people who don't know what estimate rocket is, what do we need to know about estimate rocket? Well, it's a end to end, uh, software solution for service contractors, uh, especially painters that really takes their process from end to end, allows them to, uh, you know, focus on their crafts and their, and, and their customers instead of focusing on technology. We provide the backend technology. You guys provide the craftsmanship. What's, what's really interesting is that Estimate Rocket isn't a nice to have. It's a must have because it is a process. It is a system. If you don't use Estimate Rocket, you have to create this on your own. It's not one of these things that it's like, well, you could either have it or not. It has to be there, Tom. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. I, I mean, it, it, it's hard to grow without a good system, that's for sure. No it question. is. And, and a lot of the things that uh, a lot of old crusty crafts people like me like to complain about in the industry about, hey, we have problem clients, clients complaining about the work. We have employees not doing what we ask them. Um, I don't know what to charge for X. How do you schedule? 
the, the basic amount of data that you can get in a company, some basic systems you put in place, literally yeah. just take those big hills and mountains and just level them out like that. So this is, really it is, good. it is not a nice to have. It's not maybe someday it's whether you like it or not, this exists in your business and you can either make it a sweet little system or it can be very painful for you. If people, uh, uh we'll jump into some ancillary topics here. I see that, uh, our good friend, Chris Shank, uh, uh, estimate rocket is, is in the comments and he's always good at popping in links, supporting everybody there. So again, if you guys got questions, if you guys got comments, we can talk about estimate rocket. We can talk about software, but we can talk about owning businesses and the human condition as well, too. Cause that's also very fun. So, um, so for people who don't know estimate rocket and Tom, I mean, most of my viewers, the people who follow us, this is like putting an old shoe on. This is like, Oh, there's Tom again. This is going to be a great conversation, right? So um, what you should know is that um, Tom and his wife and his company, they pour their lives into this software to try to make our lives easier. Me, as part of Ask a Painter, we try to better the industry by making better contractors. The Painting Contractors Association, the PCA, which we know and love, 140-year-old nonprofit, literally the mission is build better contractors. So from somebody uh, who is, this is near and dear to their heart as a servant leader, I want to thank you as a fellow servant leader for not only providing us with a great system, but also just for taking care of the humans in our industry. Because you know better than anybody else, Tom, we need the help, man. We need it. Yeah. And I've spent my whole career uh, basically helping people run their businesses more efficiently. I mean, it really is important. And especially, I especially like, uh, I spent a lot of years working with uh, big companies and it, it kind of lost its luster because mm. I didn't get to work with the people who really, it, it really had an impact on. And those are the people that I really enjoy working with because you get to see the change. You get to see the change on the people who are using the things day to day, not just the people at the head office who say, oh, great, we saved a million dollars this year. These people, I like when somebody says, oh man, this saves me so much time when I do this and I can get so much more done. And that just, you know, that's what makes it all worthwhile for me. And really so I get, uh, when we post a show like this, we do have questions every once in a while. Well, you know, Hey, estimate rocket, what's that all about? Um, yes, you do help with the estimating side, but it helps with a whole lot more though, Tom, what, what else, what else can estimate rocket do yeah. for you? Yeah, be careful how you name your company. It's very important. <laughs> Coming from the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company that's growing and go. scaling beyond Nick. Yes, I understand. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, my my first company was called Dros Consultants. <laughs> that was another, you know. Anyway, yep. um, so uh, basically it, it helps you manage your business from lead to paid. So it we work with you on the sales side, getting your estimates done, following up to get appointments booked, schedule, you know, calendaring those appointments and assigning them to the right people, building a quick estimate that uses your production rates or whatever your methodology is uh, to, you know, to create the estimates quickly and get it out in a proposal to the customer and help you close the deal with uh, automated follow-ups. And mm. after that, we, our estimates are also costed. Um, so when you do your estimate and you're done with it, you have a, you know, you know what the profit, what your target profit is for this project based on whatever metric system you're using to create your estimate. So now once you start running the project, we help you schedule that. We have a deduce to do system that assign, everything can get assigned to people. So people know what they have to do and where they have to be. Uh, and handles job costing along the way. 
and invoicing and payments and all those things you need while the job's going on. And then finally, it you know wraps it up with my you know original love, which is accounting. How can anybody love accounting? Oh, um, but it's data. <laughs> it's data, and and get, being able to get extract from your hard work what you need to make better decisions moving forward in your business. Yeah. And, and um, I, I think, I think, I think people don't give enough weight to how interconnected all that stuff is. Like, I, I think there's a lot of business owners who tend to think it was like, well, estimates are its own thing and maybe I'll solve that later, or maybe it's a really good system. And then there's job costing and then there's employee reviews and then there's forecasting and budgets and there's pay and comp plans. And, and it's just like, all those things are inextricably linked and, and basically by some sort of job costing at its, at its core. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And having it all in one place yeah. is really the key. Being able to look at it in summary of, you know, the, the, the body of work that you've done for whatever period you're looking at, but then also being able to get into the detail, into the weeds without having to go through a million files to find out, aha, uh -huh, this is all the, these are all the things that happened during this project. It really, really helps you for that whole planning, you know, getting better and being able to plan your future and how you'll do things in the future helps mold your processes. It's really that data is good. Yeah, there's nothing I like better than an oversimplification. And one of the greatest oversimplifications that I've ran into in the last 24 months is the concept of single source of truth. And uh, yeah. it's. And, and I don't know, I, I feel like software people know this more than that. I feel like it's a term that's very like nascent to the software world. It's not, it's not obvious to people like us. So what, what happened was as, as my company started growing, well, we'll add this in, then we'll add that in and then this, and nobody ever does a refresh and a reboot to kind of look at it and say, well, okay, we got all these little rubber duckies swimming in the pond over here. Uh, is there some platform we could put them on? Is there some way we could arrange them? So they're not just randomly floating around. And yeah. so it's, it's kind of what we all strive for in these systems and processes right. is a single source of truth, but yeah. most people aren't intentional about it. When somebody presents to you the idea of there should be a place for somebody to find this stuff and you're like, oh yeah, of course there should be. That's the thing that's going wrong here. We have some, <laughs> we have quadruple sources of truth. Like they're getting closer, but not a single. So that, that's yeah. so important. And when you put a name to it and be intentional with it, it, it makes all the difference in the world in these systems. Yeah, that single source of truth is, it rings true. <laughs> it, and it's really, and it's hard, it's not easy to do. It really is difficult because in the best of circumstances, you know, I, I would like to say SMA Rocket is the only thing you need, Yeah, but it isn't. You know, at yeah. some point you need accounting software too and making sure that, that the truth in Estimate Rocket becomes or is matched to the truth in your accounting system is is very important. And yeah. as to your your marketing or your newsletter system, or and it is really, it's really complicated. And it gets really even more complicated when you're trying to draw uh, usable statistics out of things, because that's when it really, that's one of the times when it really gets important, right? You're, you're saying, okay, well, over here, it says I got 50 of these this year. And over here, it says I have 90 of these. And wait a minute, this can't be the one of those numbers is wrong or both of those numbers are wrong. And we need to figure out because we're trying to make a decision based on that. So even recognizing that you don't have a single source of truth oh. sometimes is important, right? 
No. And so what you said is very important because, um, again, the, the data and the feelings, the data points to, we have a highly fragmented industry with a lot of single owner operators. In fact, the vast majority and, uh, anecdotally, when you meet these single owner operators, they are, they are largely master craftspeople who are not trained Mm -hmm. or didn't even want to own a business. There's just nowhere for them to go. So they have to then start a business and we're not, it is way harder to learn how to run a business than it is to paint. So there's, there's many things like, um, I was in Seattle, uh, this last week and, and in my travels, I, I meet a lot of, you know, I, I get the anecdotal, uh, feelings to then back up the data in the industry mm-hmm. and objectively our industry is becoming younger and more entrepreneurial. Um, mm-hmm. there were multiple, multiple versions of people in their younger than 25 running $3 million plus businesses where yeah. some of them had business partners. Some of them had management agreements. They job costing is, is a thing that you and I used to be like, please everybody job cost. That is obvious to them. That is obvious to them. Whereas yeah. not obvious to me and other people doing this. So what I love to see is that things like the single source of truth, things like job costing, things like some basic right. systems and processes are becoming much more obvious, which is better because instead of being in the industry for 22 years before they find estimate rocket, it's initially, we need to be part of an industry, nonprofit organization. We need to find some software to support us and we need to have all these systems in place. And sweet Jesus, that's not obvious to me or a lot of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Not all at once. That's for sure. (laughs) Not all at once, but those are like, you know, ever after having grown a founding and growing a business, it's like, that is, it's obvious to me now. And I wonder how it worked all those years without it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in the, uh, in, in my, my accounting experience, there, there's a, a, a thing, a term thrown around called the materiality principle. Yes. And what yep. that, you know, what that fundamentally means is, look, it's hard to match everything up to equal, equal if they came from different places. Right. Yep. However, what you're, one of the things you're looking for is you're looking for, do they approximate each other pretty closely? If they do, mm-hmm. then you have to take, you know, is the difference between this one and that one material? Does it mean something? Is yep. it, you know, half of your revenues? That's material. Is it, you know, 1% of your revenues? It might not be worth the time to figure out exactly where that 1% difference is, right? Because then you like always you're... had... Oh, go ahead, Don. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, I was just going to say, you always had the one person who would come up after you did that reconciliation. You spent, you know, four days on it and you're still off by 10 cents. And he says, yeah, but that could be a million on this side and a negative million on that side. You got to find it <laughs> like that. Yep. So <laughs> no, my God, did I wrestle with that, uh, Tom? So I have a, I have a, I have a business degree and a minor in accounting and I knew yep. just enough yep. to find people like you who like it to get it done because <laughs> I would, the second my, my accounting professor did the worst thing ever, which is introduced me to materiality and coming from a contractor. It's like, that is completely different from the materials that I work with. The materiality thing was the worst thing they ever could have done. Because when I was doing tax returns, I just screamed, is it material? What are we doing here? We're wasting our lives chasing down 10 cents. But then they always wisely would say that 10 cents could be a product of literally 80,000 here, 80,000 there that you're wrong. So you need right, to be, right. you need to be exact. And, and that, I just wanted to take like a pencil in my hand and snap it. And it's like, <laughs> that's what I knew. I wasn't an accountant, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had that same feeling. That's when I found software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel you, man. I feel you. So, yeah. but no, but uh, materiality also at its basic level is, um, 
what was screaming to me in my head was when you were you were doing that. It's harkened back to my days in college where that's sundries, that's sundries. Right. How how right. crazy of a of a process or a system or an accountability or a hire you would have to have in my company to track down well how many linear feet of blue tape did you use on this job? How many right. half cups of spackle did you use? You know things right. like that. And after a while, you're like the cost of calculating some of those things would outstrip the actual cost of the items over the course of right. a year. That's immaterial. So again, don't go right. crazy, but if you're, all of us do not have unlimited time. If we had unlimited time, right. I would devote my life to calculating sundries. Turns out we have humans in this company that need us, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but there's also interest. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up because there are ways to deal with that. So it doesn't matter what your actual sundry cost was on this project and that project. Yep. What matters is that you're capturing the right overall amount of sundries costs over all your projects for the year. So you're covering that cost and making some amount of profit. You're not losing money on those sundries. And that yes. can be done in bulk. That's what your accountant's good for. Hey, our total sundries expenses, what was that? And then, then we can go back and back into the project and say, yep, yeah, hey, we're cool. We, we got it covered and we're not losing money on it. That's yeah. what we don't know. have to know where or this one or that one. We just need to know. We're generally not losing money on that. Um, just like, so I feel like I do, in college, we would do projects, right? Where you would, you would mm -hmm. be presented sure. with a theory. You would do a project. You'd present something at the end. And I, nobody ever said it, but my thinking was always the, the function of that was so that you learn a lesson that you don't have to constantly relearn. Like it was, you have some right. big takeaway that will put you further in life. And yeah. uh, we've done that in my business too, specifically with sundries, which is painters, master crafts, people love to hyper fixate on, but how do you, how do you upcharge for materials? What is it? What is that? I did a, I did a project about seven years ago where I was like, you know what? We use a lot of this stuff. It's not nothing. I should actually calculate right. this to figure out if it's material or not, figure out if right. I should be worrying, losing sleep. Right. And so I started adding up receipts and pretty soon I was like, I was, I felt like I was missing some receipts. So I called up my Sherwin Williams and I was literally like, Hey, I'm trying to calculate like the amount of sundries. It's like, I don't want to burn you guys with this, but how, how do we do this? Like, Oh, yeah. three clicks. We can actually tell you, we can sort all your invoices by tape, spackle, caulk, putty mm -hmm. knives and come up with that. And literally in 30 minutes, right. they had a complete breakdown every year that I've been in business with them. And then, yeah. like you said, you look at that percentage compared to the, all the rest of the materials yeah, you know. did, it's less than 1%. And I said, thank you, Sherwin. I am never gonna think right. about sundries again. No, we, <laughs> we, we are going to buy the best. We're gonna have a system of, of a weekly order where we look at these shelves and do that. We're not gonna go crazy. Right. We're not gonna buy three semi loads and say, we have now solved you know, sundries. Right. But a simple system where we just make an order every week, it's less than 1%. Yeah. And again, yeah. if I have three hours this week, I'm not going to spend it calculating that number again. I'm going to spend it supporting right. more people. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, material. That is material that, I mean, so right. literally Tom, the longer I do this, the more I realize like paint and sundries and software is one of the only things that doesn't give us hassle in this industry. Right. It's like, you know, if you're going to devote time to entropy, chaos, it's going to be towards people. And, and when I say that, it's not because people are bad. It's just because clients have their own wishes and standards. Like right. we're not McDonald's. They don't have a preconceived notion of what they're getting. They're coming with their own beliefs, their own standards. And then as pros, we need to level that. So spending your time right. on supporting your clients and supporting your people, 
I think will always be a better chance. And that's where systems come into place, oh, which sure. is a better system, a better software will give you that much bandwidth to then support your people. Right. Yeah. And you left out past experiences. That's the worst thing you're probably up against. Oh my God. Huge, huge. And, and, uh, the stigma. So it's really, it's really interesting. Uh, in Seattle, um, we, we had a night out on the town and I was randomly waiting, uh, for a drink at the bar. And these three professionals were standing, standing right there. And we were jovial. We were talking like, Hey, you know, guys having a good night, this and that you can tell they're traveling business people. And of course they made the, yeah, I'm from Minnesota. I don't make a lot of eye contact. I normally wouldn't start a a conversation, (laughs) but they did start a conversation and they were like, so what do you do? I told them about my involvement in the industry as a business owner and a nonprofit. They couldn't believe how much revenue some of our companies make. Like they thought painting companies were literally dusty single dudes in trucks, right? right? That's what our is. And, but I started asking them like, Hey, just not for nothing. Like, what do you guys think about painters and what do you want from them? And literally every single one of them, these are my core demo. They are professionals. They probably live in that 800 to $1.8 million house in an outer ring suburb. And they literally were like, listen, um, it's a wild west. It's painful to interact with a lot of home service businesses. And Mm. when we get here, we expect the price to always change. We expect the schedule not to be held. And if somebody came along, on a concierge level and just solved all those problems, uh, mm-hmm. you would change the entire industry, which is kind of like a big no duh thing, but to universally right. see all of them nodding their head, like, listen, man, typically painting my house or staining my deck isn't necessarily a passion project. It's more of like a thing we just need to get done. It's a problem that needs to be solved. And if somebody just was like, Shh, just, we got this, they would be happier. <laughs> What a great thing. Right. What a great thing. So Absolutely. we have a precious industry. We love this thing very much. But again, remember, if we can just show up and solve some problems, I think we got this yeah. lift. You know? so. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's no uh, question about that. So we're approaching end of the year, Tom. I know that mm-hmm. you love the planning portion. You love all that stuff too. I was telling you before we started, I'm taking a swing at 2024 numbers formally on paper. I've been, so deer hunting season is now done for me. I spent a lot of time in the woods. <laughs> I start organizing my thoughts around what, what it could be, what we should be doing, SWOT analysis kind of stuff. And, um, and then now I have to put it down on paper. So I'm preparing myself for that. This is one of the things I love the most, your thoughts, your process, what are you looking at at this time of the year? Uh, Well, I'm looking at this year, you know, where we're at, what we've done, how we've, you know, how we've performed per plan. Um, what happened that we weren't expecting, you know, what, what didn't happen that we were expecting those types of things. Um, and a lot of that is to try to get a handle on, you know, over time you look at things and you see, well, you know, we do all this great planning, but how did we do? Cause mm. if we're doing like crap every time, then our planning is not working well. Yep. So you've got to do that retrospective and make sure, okay, you know, I'm, I'm between, you know, 90 and hundred percent of my plan or 85 and hundred percent of my plan. I'm generally feeling that's pretty good because my plan is generally moderately aggressive. So I know that, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm still in a good shape, good position. That's kind of the start. And so looking at the actuals year to date, you know, uh, extracting, um, you know, annualizing those. So I say, okay, well, here's, here's where I think I'm going to be at the end of the year. Cause you never know what surprises happened in that last month of the year. And then I start looking at, what's going on? What do, what do we see next year? What's coming? Are there any, you know, are there any radical things that we see, uh, changes in the marketplace, competitors gone out of business or, oh. uh, new competitors coming into business? You know, those are all things that I look at to see, you know, what opportunities may be there that aren't, 
our normal, you know, every day, okay, we're going to increase our sales by this much because we're going to add this many people and we're not losing any people. So we know this is, you know, our expected increase in business. And we have a unique, you know, advantage actually in some respects because we get, we, and this business is different than my old, my first software company, which was you, it was a new sale every year. So you, Uh, you know, you, and very similar to, to, to a painting industry where you've got to go back out and kind of resell it, even on the repeat work. Um, This business, if you're taking good care of your customers, they're going to keep using your product and keep paying you. So our, you know, we, we focus on keeping people happy. And then we know by keeping people happy, we will add a certain number of people the next year, Mm -hmm. depending upon our marketing efforts and other things that we're doing. Boy. The, yeah. One of the sweetest words in the English language or series of words is recurring revenue. <laughs> oh, absolutely, without question. <laughs> and and recurring revenue is, you know, obviously in my world, that's word of mouth, repeat referral. Uh, we don't necessarily have a contract that things are going to be done monthly or quarterly or yearly, but right. that's the closest thing that we have. And uh, recurring right. revenue is a great thing, but it's also a sign of that, you know, you can deliver on your promise and that you're making your people happy, which is a great sort of like database part of that thing. So absolutely. Yeah. For and sure. you said your you said your goals were moderately aggressive. How do you determine what is moderately aggressive? Um it's kind of feel. I know there's a yeah. lot of gut in there. Um, you know, we've grown at a rate of 25 to 45% for eight years. So that, that feels a little much more than moderately aggressive. That's, that's fairly aggressive yeah. growth. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm actually, you know, I push the, the goal a little more than that. And yeah. Um, so I don't, part of that is that, you know, if I don't hit the goal, I'm okay with that. It's yeah. something to shoot for, but it's not, it isn't. I also know where the business has to be to be healthy. Mm. So there's, there's, uh, there's no growth, which is not healthy ever. There's, there's, uh, you know, sustainable growth, which is great. And then there's crazy growth, which isn't sustainable. So if you have that for too many years in a row, you're gonna have a different kind of problem. So it's finding that bat that sustainable growth. Um, and, and the nice thing about, uh, for us is that the 30% sounds like a lot, but it's actually, um, for us, it's not the the load. It doesn't actually increase our overhead ridiculously because of the fact that our customers are um, need the most help in their first year. You oh, know, learn yeah. basic learning and adopting to the product, and then they run along pretty well. In fact, our big one of our biggest challenges, one of the reasons we have Chris on board, is is keeping our customers educated in the product because. It does a lot of things. And I know that the majority of our customers are using maybe 60% of the product. I mean, oh. we actually have a, a program that tells how much of the features are being used in general. And and it's I, it, it makes me sad because there's so many things people, you know, productivity things that people are missing out on that they could be helping their businesses even more of it. In any so event, it comes Tom, back real quick, to- what is- what yeah. is the one thing you wish people used more? Like that one thing of like, come on, painters, do this. Um, automated follow-ups throughout the whole project, not just in the sales cycle, because they're through the whole project. And and there's you know confirm appointment confirmations. There's uh, what what's going to happen before the work communications. Right, we got the deal, we schedule it, it's booked out three weeks from now. 
we have like four communications that we want to do to let people know, hey, when we come, you know, we'd like you to have the furniture clean, you know, whatever your messages are that you yeah. want to get out to people. Those can all be automated really simply and they don't degrade from the service that you're providing in any way. It's yeah. just a way of making sure those communications happen. That's God, probably the so biggest the biggest one for me in terms of, of overall productivity. Well, and what's interesting is that again, it's like, Ooh, that'd be a nice thing to do for my clients. It's like, no, you, that you have to. And, right. and if you don't do it in an automated way, guess who does it? You, you, you are the automation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the key. And communications are like, you know, for, for almost any business, but especially for service contractors and painters there, it's critical. Customers just want to be told what's going on. And I know that's hard if you don't have any automation for it. It requires you to pick up the phone. You're dreading it because it's going to take you in, or write an email manually from hand with saying the same thing that you've said a thousand times Always. before. And, and you dread it and, you, and people don't do it. They don't. They don't because we don't have extra time, right? So that's, yeah, right. it's right. so obvious. Got to use the tools. It's yeah. so obvious. No, and 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 I like that. So, uh, most lives of business owners parallel in this regard. At least people who have got far enough mm -hmm. along the line to have a sophisticated system of planning, right? And one of the things that sure. I that I struggle with, and this is way more of a personal than a technical struggle, is uh, the act of just making goals is fine. You go off past experience. Right. You go off. You know, you can do some bookending stuff, which is. There is a number in which you go below and you go bankrupt, right? So mm -hmm. congratulations, that's your low end. That's the far end that's of one. Exactly. And that is the part where typically guys like Nick and Tom want to be, which makes yeah. everybody yeah. super stressed out, right? Yeah, exactly. it's like, hey, yeah. what do you guys feel about tripling this year? This is going to be great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the hard part <laughs> is, is, is one of the things that I've had, I, I don't even want to call it a struggle, but I, I have arguments internally about where do you put that goal? Because you want it to be a slight reach goal where people get sometimes, don't get sometimes. If you make it right. too light, they're going to get it all the time. And does that create a culture of, ah, we always hit our goal. If you put right. it a little too high and they never touch it, is that a culture of, there's no way we can ever meet the expectations. So it's almost yeah. this gamifying of like messing with the human condition, putting in a goal just big enough so people feel like they're growing and it gives them something to strive for, but that's right. achievable and meets the goals of the business too. Right. It's a really fine, it is definitely a fine line. And I, I have, you know, gone on both sides of that. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's part of the deal is you have to keep going. You have to keep switching. Sometimes you really need to stretch it. Uh, and I think that also goes though with business hurdles, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the stretch goal doesn't have to be every year. Obviously you want to have growth. If you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, yes. I, I, that is, there's no question about that. Somehow you got to be growing. And not just top line and revenue. Yeah. <laughs> not just top line revenue. Right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, that's important. Figuring out what that is each year is a challenge and yeah. keeping it, as you said, you know, I, I, I've never beat people up over not making goals, but on the other hand, is that encourage them, you know, mm -hmm. it's a really, it's a fine line. It's, it's, it. it's really tough. Like I think uh, sometimes the problem is there is, a, let's just be honest, there's a big personality difference typically between the grower, founder, scaler, CEO, professional manager mm -hmm. of a company like this. 
and the people right. who we employ. And doesn't mean they're good or bad. It just means that the risk and reward right. profile is off. We own all the shares right. of the company. So we have a completely different incentive for them. We have that right. incentive to always make it bigger, always push. We don't always necessarily translate that into why we're doing it, which I think is a huge problem, which is, yeah. you know, like you said, hey, yeah. we're a half a million dollar home service company. This is great. Everybody's getting paid well. If you guys want PTO and health insurance and stuff like that, or even um, positions in this company to move up and out of the field, we can't stay at half a million bucks. So when I say right. we got to double to 1 million or triple to 1.5, that's going to add a lot of stress on you. And I think a lot of times business owners just put the pedal down and not tell people, well, right. if we triple the size of this company, we're going to need a project manager. And guess what? That's going to be one of you guys. So let's do this, you know? Right. Right. The fruits of the growth. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's um, one of the things early on, um, you know, obviously I'm a fan of traction. We've talked about that before. And uh, um, one of the things uh, that I took away from the book is that uh, we're, we always pride ourselves on this 2024 plan, the revenue, the goals, yeah. the staffing, and then we never share it with yeah. anybody. And you got it. A good leader shares that vision with others because your main yeah. Objective is to inspire those around you to be their best. Right. And if you don't have a common goal, if you don't know where we're marching, it seems just obvious that you're not going to get there. Yeah. And I, I've, our company has come a long way over the last three or four years uh, yeah. in that regard, uh, in term and starting with uh, core values. You know, I always thought, well, I, you know, I know we're doing this for the right reason. And, you know, yeah. I care that, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I never realized, I never really understood the power of, of actually expressing that to yeah. the people that are, you know, your team members. And it is very powerful. And I, I also had, had the experience, we hired a lot, uh, we hired um, a lot of people last year. Yeah. And um, part of what we, this was the first time I had a round of multiple uh, hires in a short period of time, relatively short period of time. And I shared the core values with each one. I wasn't necessarily hiring the folks from a technical standpoint, but I wanted to have, you know, a chat with each one of them. And we talked about the core values. And I would say 50% of the candidates I eliminated during that part of the conversation. That oh my God. I, I saw expressions on people's faces. I saw everything screamed out to me. These are not the right people. And it was interesting. really interesting. Yeah, and, it was uh, fascinating. Would, would you be willing to either share a method for sussing that out or a particular question that got to one of your core values? Honestly, it was really just, no, I actually read the core values to them one by one. And really? I, and, I, and I watched and I listened after I read each one to them. And some of the expressions I got were just told me that that person, that this didn't matter to that person at all. Now, maybe that may be unfair, but it was really clear to me and there was other i mean there were other parts of the interview that that explained too so i, th I think it's part it's a this is that data and feelings thing right yes there were some other things there wasn't a specific question but it was more yeah. the react it was their reaction to um you know do you like to work hard? and this wasn't one of them but do you like yeah. to work hard or the person goes uh, yeah, oh, like, you can, well, they can't hide it. This it's on their face. You, you got to at least smile or something, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you probably don't. <laughs> so no, and uh, so really interesting. One system that I we're, we're hopping around a little bit, but one system right now I'm actually actively working on with my coach is sort of ideal 
candidate profile and a new system of hiring that more of like a reboot system of hiring. I mean, we're okay at it, but it always just feels like it's, it's intuition, it's voodoo, it's mysticism. It's yeah. like, you know, and, and yeah. I'm not a trained psychologist. Right. So I always feel like sure. it's like, like I feel pretty damn sure of our cabinet finishing process, right. In 15 years, right. we've not had a failure. I can't say the same about hiring and recruiting. <laughs> and it just feels like this <laughs> loose system where you're trying to ascertain the feelings and the values of somebody for knowing them for 15 minutes. And it just feels like, how could this ever work? It's really hard. To get people find success. <laughs> yeah, we did do, we actually did um, a, a bunch of testing too. And I don't, I, I don't offhand, I can't remember what the tests were that we did, but, and they were different tests for different uh, positions. Um, and it was basically, they were basically, um, you know, suitability for the job oh, like yeah. tests where, and you, we, you've probably taken disc tests and, you know, variety of those types of things. And I hate those tests. I like with a passion, I can't, I have a hard time finishing them ever, right? <laughs> but, but, um, but when you look at, you know, we, after, after going through that with our, with our business coach, um, you know, I looked at mine and I go. Well, damn, that's actually pretty accurate about how I am and and where I fit on the spectrum of. And then when you look at that in terms of how you fit with the other team members, it mm. it kind of resonates. So I, I think you got to use a bunch of different tools. To tell you the truth, I don't think there's any one you know silver bullet thing that's going to do it. But wish there yeah. was. <laughs> and and so even yeah so i i went deep into disc profiling years ago and it was great i mean it was almost like a parlor trick where somebody would take a disc profile you read it back and they're just like oh my god i can't believe that's exactly me but the 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 data and the feelings part which is you know when you get these people uh, i actually took a disc profile like my own ideal craftsperson and so on a big target like a big round disc target i had a dot i took it like i am the best painter that i could ever hire and I found some people who are very close to the dot. It turned out there's a little thing called personal lives that can alter that. Mm -hmm. So even though somebody right. physically and mentally takes that test, like my person, if they're going through a messy right. breakup or they're losing their housing, or if there's some mental instability or there's just chaos in their personal life, that yeah. just profile doesn't mean a dang thing. If they're a complete, right. they could, they could test like a schizophrenic halfway yeah. across the right. board. There. So it was, it was one of those really great things to, uh, I found it really much more helpful in the leadership, uh, positions because that, that was a quite a bit different position than the painters. And so at least if the dots were over in one general direction, at least you could say, okay, the proclivity for this person to have some of these traits is a little higher than this. So it was helpful. Right. It was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, but I, I think the, I think the, you know, technical questions work well with the core values thing, because that's what if I had to go back and look at it, what the technically um, several of the people that I was talking to were, you know, they were spot on and they answered all the technical questions really well, but, but the core values, when, when we, when I was talking to them about them, they're just like, it was just a weird reaction. And it, and it just, it was just like a, no, that's not really me reaction instead of a, and, and, and yet some, a lot of people said, Oh, that's really great. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And, and it's nice to hear that. And so it just sort of resonated that they care about those mm. kinds of values rather than, okay, what's the next technical question for me kind of thing. And as you just said, it's, it's a, it's more than just one thing. It's gotta be the whole package. 
Exactly. And what's really interesting is that you, when, when you say that it, it brings up a lot of, you know, cause we have together, we have lots of data points on the interview process and things like that. I probably do a couple hundred phone interviews a year and, and in-person interviews. Wow. And you can tell that it, it might not even be the specific core values or the specific job description or the specific pay scale, but people who have been around just long enough that have been in businesses that don't have any of that. When you say we have an onboarding process, they're like, oh, sweet Jesus. Thank yeah, you. Right. I've been on five jobs that didn't even onboard us. They just gave me a desk and a login and I just started going, you know? So yeah, I think, right. I think sometimes at least I used to say this just about the trades. Well, like in the trades, it's a low hanging fruit. If you just are not a crook and answer your phone, you'll have business. Well, turns out after the pandemic, uh, everybody's struggling, right? And a right. lot of very Absolutely. unprofessional business practice practices got exposed, not just in the trades. So yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. the trades, there's a big old level playing field between retail and food service and all these other firms now where people right. aren't looking for I want to be a software engineer with Tom. I want to be a project manager right. with Nick. They, they're not even looking for that. My feeling after the pandemic is they want flexibility. They want onboarding. They want training. They want a pay scale. Right. They want a metric-based system of goal setting right. and review. Uh, they want a job description. They want the support team with them. They want to know what a win is. Yeah. And honestly, I think people are agnostic to what type of work they do on, on, on a big scale. Yeah. I think so too. A lot of people have changed what they're doing after the pandemic for sure. And I also think there's definitely a, a bigger sense of wanting to be part of something, but not doesn't mean they want to be like you or be you, but it means they want to be in an environment where certain things matter, you know, like, like that you have a future and, and, yeah. and we care about you, you know, you need to care about us and we're, we care about you. And I, and I, you know, I don't know, it's kind of, we, I've been lucky because I, I didn't work that long before I started my, my first company, yeah. um, you know, for other companies. So, and I wasn't, I was at a stage where it was just like, okay, right, this is the first job. Okay. Here's your second job. Here's your third <laughs> job. Okay. We're going, we're going right racing. And then, you know, once I started the company, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't working for someone else anymore. I was working for my clients, but I wasn't working. I didn't have that, you know, comp intercompany relationship. I was at the top of that chain, not at the bottom of it. So I, I probably never really felt that like a lot of, you know, people who aren't entrepreneurs feel that. So it's kind of hard to get that, um, you know, under, fully understand that whole feeling of where you're going, what you're part, being, being part of something. Cause I kind of was the something that people were all a part of, not me, but the, the company. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Opportunities for 2024, Tom, uh, you're connected to, a, uh, our industry, but you're also connected to other things here. Um, yeah. If you wouldn't mind potentially economic stuff, maybe market stuff, thoughts and feelings you have even outside of that. Um, I try to keep my pulse on the finger of a lot of this stuff. Obviously, if we knew what the economy was going to do, we would sell everything we own short or long the market and then retire very wealthy. So these are all just weird predictions, but either anecdotally yeah. or spiritually or by the data, uh, what is interesting to you? What are you seeing? And what do you think about? Yeah, I, uh, I have to tell you that I, the biggest thing I think about is the election, unfortunately. And I mm -hmm. think that, that it's going to, it's a, it's one of those weird years where, um, I, I, I hate to get political and I'm not going to get yeah. overly political. However, I am going to say 
there doesn't seem like there's really a candidate that I want to vote for, regardless of my political affiliations at yeah. the moment. And that, and that's that worries me, and it worries you know, because it's instability in the economy, and, and not just in the economy. It's instability in the way uh, Americans feel about yeah. their lives when there's political instability. Yeah, and yeah. there's a crapload of political instability right now. And, and well, that's and so that's one of the things that has you know gives me concern because I don't know the answer, but I know no matter what, it's going to be a year of hell on both sides. It's really mm. going to be difficult because it's it's probably going to be the most contentious election, both in the primaries and in the final election in as long as I can remember, even worse than you know last time. Oh yeah. Uh, Chris Shank, yeah. the philosopher, you might have to chime in because you can probably <laughs> rattle this off the top of your head. But like, you know, uh, I remember something many years ago, like the the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference or something like that. And honestly, when uh, I, I am not political in any of that stuff. Uh, so again, when I, when I look at something like this, I'm, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of people. I'm very interested in all this stuff. I just don't get involved with it. Right. What I hear is age being brought up for the first time, the age of the candidates. And that's another mm -hmm. whole wrinkle because people already start off with some very entrenched beliefs about all this stuff. And now you throw right. in this thing, well, well, both candidates don't seem to meet these requirements. And you, you start right. thinking about like, um, you can understand, I bring up the, the love and indifference thing because I, I would almost rather have a whole bunch of passionate people doing stuff. But when you look mm -hmm. at the candidates, what I hear response from this year, this next year's election is indifference, not passion. And that to me is even scarier. Like if you, if right. you have a, I mean, again, for business owners, for young people, um, everybody, everybody under 40, 50, if you're working on a business, working on a family, we already don't have time for this BS, right? And if right. you make it even right. less interesting to us, we're checking out, man. <laughs> we are done. And that is that to me is like when you have a disengaged populace, yeah. that seems even worse than people who are, you know, out there picketing right. and things like that. So <laughs> right. And the people that are engaged are so polar, you know, yeah. so polarized that again, there's no, there's no no matter what side of the fence you're on, right? And I, by the way, I, I have voted differently in many different elections. I'm not a party person. I'm a, you know, who do I think is going to do the best job person? And uh, this is the, has been the worst, worst couple of years that I've seen in terms of people won't even consider another <laughs> position. No, I mean, it's really divisive. It is. And that's what, that's the other thing that's, you know, it, it really is scary. To me, that's that worries me. I know we can go and do our work and, and we can get things done, but we have a you know, we're totally gonna be influenced by that. So we're just gonna have to, you know, figure out how to work through it. And and Tom, the the and listen, again, I'm a simple house painter from flyover country, right? So when I say this, yeah. this is uninformed, it's inexperienced, whatever. But to me, the longer I do this with with the life experience that I have. I do, I do kind of realize like consumer confidence is basically all of that, you know, like yeah. we go into a recession. My understanding mm -hmm. is typically because of consumer confidence and yes, there are some layoffs and there's some interest rates and there's some things like that, but it feels right. like the stock market, the economy, everything money related 
the gross national product is largely related on feelings of humans, which to me is the yeah. scariest thing. Because <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll love my theory on, uh, or maybe not <laughs> on what what a president. You know, in theory, a president, the president of the United States, has um, very limited powers. The executive powers are relatively limited. Yeah, and I look at the president of the United States as as the CEO, he's supposed to be calling the direction. He's supposed to be making the the constituents and the residents of the United States feeling good about what we're doing and where we're going. Yeah. Right. And 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 show that there's a plan, there's a direction and a plan, and we're going to work hard and we're going to get there. To me, that's what that position is. And man, I haven't, I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> I guess. I know. And, and and listen, I, I've gone through all the same things. And the most interesting thing to hear nowadays is, you know, when people, when people start feeling indifferent or they even get enraged about mm -hmm. the age, the sex, the type of the candidates, right. the, the non-newness of them all. I mean, it, right. the most curious thing for me is always when people are like, well, it kind of makes a bunch of our old presidents seem not so bad anymore. It's like, wait, I thought you guys didn't like them either. What happened all of a sudden, you know, exactly. it's like all of a sudden they're well, looking great. <laughs> yeah. And, and at, the, at the end of this, Tom, the final thought I have on all of it is. I got four yeah. kids in a business. So that that's number uh, 42 on my list. I'll get to it as soon as all these other things are solved in my life and we'll do that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, final, final thought Amen. on all that, which is uh, <laughs> to bring this around to a simple painting company and a simple software company, which is I have no data to prove that any of that actually affects our businesses. That's if true. I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, yeah. like we, our businesses have gone through wars through tumult. Uh, it wasn't but two or three years ago, 45 minutes from my house, it was a war zone. The city was on fire. My painters who were in the National Guard were handed assault rifles and sent up there. Meanwhile, people were getting their houses painted, right? right? And that is a weird world to live in. You don't want to be painting houses at a time like that. But also, if you have 40 families that rely on your business for their everyday needs, what is the greatest thing that you can do as a leader? Is it to shut this thing down and weep for humanity or is it to support your 40 families? You can do both, but you should probably support your families. So in the end, honestly, I'm always comforted by somebody said long ago, which is we love to postulate about what about a war in Ukraine? What about a presidential election? What about this? What about economic indicators? Guess what? Sherwin-Williams sells more paint every year than the year previous. Right. By gallons. Somebody is putting that 100%. paint on. The industry is is slated to grow 10% over the next bunch of years. All of our businesses are growing. And guess what? There will be some effects of those things. But you're not telling me an unprofessionalized house a painting business with one single owner operator from Oklahoma is affected by a political election, unless you affect it right. yourself. So absolutely. Yeah. Unless you quit. Unless you quit. Right. Yeah. Our yeah. jobs are just to keep going and to and to inspire our teams to continue going because we're going to be fine. I feel bad for the rest of the, you know, for the people who are, who get so upset by this stuff. And we're lucky because we get to look at it, evaluate it, and then just push it aside if it doesn't matter for our decision and then move in the direction that we know we got to go. That's it. And, and in, a, in a world where none of us have any extra time, if you allot time to that stuff, you're not wrong, but you are. That's the opportunity cost of not doing something elsewhere. So in the realm of like a practice that most professionals do is you you try to 
uh, simplify your life into areas of passions or areas of responsibility right. to your family, your business, your community, your larger world. And you set yeah. goals in those separate areas. And so one thing that I always talk about is it's not wrong to vote. It's not wrong to get involved with all those things, but is doing that moving you closer to your goals or not? Because we don't have unlimited right. time. And that's the thing that Tom, I always keep right. reminding myself. Yeah, absolutely. It's no a good question thing. about it. Yeah. Oh, Tom, I, so Ooh. that is, that is an interesting topic. <laughs> that an that hour we could, yeah. Yeah. I know just like that. So yeah. Uh, what's your religion and who'd you vote for? That's a great way to end, uh, end, end the podcast all the time. <laughs> no, I think we're breaking up, Nick. I think oh yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. No, those are, those are always good discussions, Tom. And, uh, you know, from yeah. one fellow business owner to the next, I, I want to appreciate you, um, for creating estimate rocket for administering it in our industry, for being part of what we do, and just for taking care of our people, Tom, because we need you. We need you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do it, and I'm glad there's a need out there, and I, I will continue doing it because I think it helps people, and I think it's uh, you know valuable for people to have, and we want to keep helping people in every trade uh, you know, elevate themselves because they, they really – the trades are inspiring. They, they really are because it's it's the it is the true uh, embodiment of the American dream, frankly, because yep. the opportunities yep. are there and the capital requirements are not that great. And it's it's one of it's like one of the last areas where you can really achieve that just by doing a great job and, you know, being a decent person. Not just not just money, but wealth wealth creation exactly. from nothing. And so Jason, we'll, we'll end on this. Jason Paris, my friend of mine, who, who is a trained economist and knows something about <laughs> software, created his own. In fact, um, he, he always, uh, we did some research because we tried to like, okay, Hey, painting's awesome. Get into painting. But Jason has the mind where he always asks the next question. Why? Give me the value proposition because I'm going to make a decision, right? And he, he's that nerdy economist guy. Yep. And so yep. we did some research and we found that the average starting surgeon salary is about $205,000 a year, right? And that's yeah. that's baked in over the top of somewhere between seven and 10 years of college, hundreds right. and hundreds, if not a half a million dollars worth of debt, and you're taking people's yeah. lives in your hands. Um, right. If you follow the industry benchmarks, a $1 million painting business with somewhere between seven and 10 employees and you doing stuff, you could potentially take home $297,000 a year if you do that. How right. much college, how much startup cost? Almost zero. So exactly. epitome of the American dream, which is you don't need education. Yeah. You don't need experience. You're not taking people's lives in your hands. You get seven to 10 of your buddies. You start a painting business, 300 K in your pocket. Tell me where there's opportunity out there like that. They are not there. They're, They're not, not there. there without, <laughs> with, with, with the minimal amount of capital, literally no capital. You can actually achieve that in a very short period of time. Uh, Tom, um, if people want to talk to you, if people want to learn more about Estimate Rocket, what do we do? Sure. Uh, reach out to me, Tom, at EstimateRocket.com uh, or EstimateRocket.com has everything you need to know to, to uh, get going with Estimate Rocket. Our customer success team will walk with you one-on-one -on -one through the whole process. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we are here to help. Yes, you are. And you have, you have proven that for the industry and that's why you and I are doing this. So, um, and, and Luis, uh, a customer of yours from uh, lavish and sons, he says, hello guys, I use estimate rocket. They have a great system, great customer service. Always. Uh, I have questions. They respond really quickly. Highly recommend. Can't say it any better than that. That's one of your people. Thank you, Luis. <laughs>
Awesome. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> so you you now have Tom's info. If you want to talk religion and politics with Tom, you know how to get all. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a different email. That's a, yeah. that's a different email. Yeah, you can catch Tom on the Instagram DMs for that stuff. But no, Tom loves talking business. He he's passionate about software and helping humans, which is again like the trifecta of stuff that I love about you. So. All right, but Tom, thank you for always doing this. This is always one of the highlights of the year where, where two professionals get to talk. Uh, Chris Shank, thank you for supporting us in, uh, in the messages and everything else. And as always, it's just great to talk to you. Rocket Your Business for Trade Contractors is brought to you by Estimate Rocket, makers of the top sales and job management software for contractors. Manage the chaos and rocket your business to the next level. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.